Welcome to Overboost 17. Overboost is a podcast interview series featuring discussions with speedrunners about their history in speedrunning and gaming and the runs they're passionate about. I am your host, PMC Trilogy, and with me today is Arg. Arg, how are you? I'm great, mate. How are you? I'm I'm hanging in there. You know, I'm I'm I think I'm ready for for fall. Ready for autumn. Ready for a new month. Actually, I always like to start off these discussions was something recent and this week as i was preparing for this interview i noticed that you had a fun announcement which is that you're doing i believe for the first time a themed month can you talk about that yeah so i it's one of these things that i've seen a number of streamers out there big successful streamers like it's, it's what i want to be like if you start streaming the idea is you'd like to be able to make it you want to be big and successful and i thought you know what I've never actually done a themed month before. I want to see if I can do a themed month. And then the idea of the Sonic Super Play was born, which is basically I have challenged myself to finish 52 Sonic games in September uh, with incentives and challenges, which if they get met can up it to 58 games in total, as well as insane things like get the chaos emeralds do all good futures do all stories like there's a lot of different challenges in that throughout the month um and it's just it's a really it's a themed sonic month based on on my sonic speedrunning that i do but i've always had people coming into my chats and saying hey when's x game or when's y game and my answer to them is well now so let's go and play through all the series and see what happens and see what sticks now you've already mentioned there's there's a lot of Sonic games out there. Of course, you said you know fifty two could be as many as fifty eight in in the month. Um, I I think I had looked through your your spreadsheet and I was very curious just because you know I, I think we think of uh, or at least maybe commonly think of Sonic as focused on two D platforming, three D platforming. Are there any games that are like really far out there in terms of what you're used to streaming? Because I can think of off the top of my head, I know. There's a, a Sonic JRPG. I don't know if that made your list, but I was just curious if there are sort of things in here like, oh boy, I'm going to stream this. That's the game that basically sparked the entire thing. Oh, really? Uh, Sonic, Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood is a game that is a JRPG that features Sonic, and everybody in my chat comes in and goes, hey, when's Dark Brotherhood is a meme. So I'll be honest, if they want it, they have to pay for it. But if they pay for it, I'll do it. And then I'll, it'll happen. Um, but like my overall goal on Twitch is to be able to say I have speedrun every single Sonic game. Uh, and which means I would have to speedrun that game as well. Uh, this is just the case of this is a taste of what's to come if we go down this route, if it's met. Um, and yeah, that's just, it's there, it's the very last game that can meet its incentive. It's fairly high, but I know there are people who are sitting in the background probably laughing right now going, yeah, you're playing that game and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's what the people I, I, want. I, they're, they're, yeah, there they're are very generous community members out there and I, I have tried to order them. Please don't just smash it immediately, but I get the feeling that they're going to wait until the last day and then I'm going to pay for it, quite literally. But to answer your question, there are, are there is a game in there that is completely different from any other game that you would stream and it's called Sonic Shuffle. 
It's Mario Party with Sonic, and it's not aged well. It was on the Dreamcast. It was an amazing game as a kid. I played it a few years ago, and my God, it did not like. It did not bring back good memories. Like that AI is. It's so hard. Even on easy, it's so hard. I don't think I've ever heard of that one because I, I, you know, I can think of Mario Party, Crash Bash, even Fusion Frenzy, but I was not mm-hmm. aware there was a Sonic one. Yep, exact same idea. Sonic Shuffle. You're going around the board. You use cards to move, I believe, uh, and then you also have to fight to get these special stones. And then every time a full round ends, you get mini games that you've got to play. It's basically Mario Party, but Sonic. And oh god. It, it's one of the times where Sega tried to copy Nintendo and it just didn't work out. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you're looking looking forward to that. As you said, that's only on Dreamcast too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What you know, one of the things that's interesting about following Sega is that Sega was one of those companies, I'm sure you're well aware, that had a lot of PC ports, uh, you know, in the late nineties. I say this as someone who researches a lot of mech games and I notice there's like virtual on ports and things like that. And so it's definitely been interesting because I, you know, when I, for example, one of the runs that we're going to talk about later is your uh, Sonic Adventure DX All Stories, which just idly I assumed, well, this must be on GameCube, but that's a PC run. It is a PC run. Uh, There are actually two versions of it on PC as well. There's the original PC disc release, which is the version that we run on, but then they also ported it over to Steam. Uh, unfortunately, the Steam version is not the greatest version and actually has a few quirks to it that make it not ideal for speedrunning. So everybody just accepts that we're running on PC disc. But as you say, Sega are fairly okay for PC ports. Um, but since the success of Persona 4 Golden, they have came out and said, you know what? We, we're going to look into porting more PC games over. So it's like, Ooh. Yeah, so everyone's we'll wishing seeing, now. Oh, yeah. It's like maybe we'll be seeing more of the Yakuza franchise. Maybe we're going to see some more Sonic games come over. Or maybe they've got some other things sitting in their pocket. But it's nice to see them taking an interest in it. And we'll wait and see what the future brings. Yeah, no, that's definitely definitely exciting. But let's go back in time. Let's go back to the start. For you and gaming, is gaming something that you got from family, friends? How does that start up for you as an interest? Uh, for me, it's family. Um, I, back when I was three years old, I was a wee lad, a wee baby, and I, I lived in a flat. So it was a case of there wasn't really much room to go and like run around and play with friends and do anything. You're in a flat. Like, oh, well, fair enough. So I ended up sitting, spending a lot of my time playing on my mum's Mega Drive that she had. Uh, and we were playing games like uh, Micro Machines and Mega Bomberman. And that's where I discovered Sonic 2. Uh, So Sonic 2 was actually my first Sonic game that I ever played. And then just throughout the years, more games came out, and she bought more games, and eventually I got to play Sonic 3, Sonic & Knuckles, and from there, this is where my love of gaming blossomed. And it was just a case of, ever since then, I've just, I've loved everything about gaming. I love the, the games themselves, I love the communities, I love music from them, I collect a huge amount of of everything like my, my room is a giant nerd haven like it's filled with collectibles merchandise consoles games you name it it's it's what i do like i live and breathe gaming giant nerd for it and it's it's my main hobby and i love it to bits 
Now you said your your mother had been the one who who picked up the the Mega Drive, and of course, you know it was a good hobby to have. There not being too much space to to run around. Uh, was there a console or PC which was like the first one that was really truly yours instead of maybe like the family unit? Um, that wasn't until much later. I think my first ever console that I bought myself is probably not until much later. It's probably going to be the Wii, to be honest. Mm. Um, because I remember, I remember the trying to get a GameCube up here in Scotland, and it was a successful console up here. So much so that there was a stock shortage and we couldn't actually get one. Um, and we went around a number of different times one day. We just we took the long trip just to go and see if we could find one. And every store we went into was sold out until we finally got to one store that went, you know what? We might be sold out of it, but our sister store over the other side of the country has one. But it's an X display model. It's in the window right now. Do you want it? And we just went, yes. And we drove over there and picked up the GameCube. It's still a family unit. It, it came with Crazy Taxi and um, Burnout. So it didn't have like any of the well-known GameCube games. But it was amazing. And I wanted that. And like, I love that story. And then after it, that, that was kind of the time where I was able to pick up a part-time job. And it was like... Instead of my family having to buy me these consoles, I will buy them. And the Wii was the one where it's just like, this is mine. And it's like, I get to own this. And it's great because I, I have two brothers. So it was a case of we would always share the consoles no matter like who bought them as long as they took care of it. So it's like, yeah, make sure you put your games back, put the controllers back. There were fights, obviously. Like I could play the card of, well, I bought it. This is my console. But thankfully, we didn't have to do that a lot. But the Wii was my first one. Like, we, we owned a lot of consoles. We had the N64, we had the PlayStation, we had the GameCube. But those were always, like, just the family console. Even though they resided in my room, it was still, like, anybody could come and play it. And I didn't mind it because it was great to watch other people playing as well. No, I mean, it, honestly, it, that's so good to have that experience. Uh, I, you know, I for me, just relating to that, I had a sibling who was nine years older than me, and so we sort of had a brief period where we were both into it, and then he sort of moved on. Whereas I, as I stuck with it. Now, with these family consoles, uh, have have now you just mentioned before that you have a, a lair, a cave of uh, uh, associated stuff. Are those are some of those still the old family consoles, or did your siblings end up being the ones who? who you know, inherited that original uh, stuff. No, they're mine. They're yours. <laughs> they're mine. <laughs> I, I got. I got them all. They. They. They knew. Like my mom and dad. Basically, ever since with my upbringing, they basically knew. Growing up, it's like this is his expensive hobby. This. This is what we've got to get ahead. This is what Santa's bringing him every year. Is it's going to be the new console or it's going to be the new game? So much so that. They actually bought me the PlayStation 3 original model when it came out for Christmas one year. That was the big £600 thing. Yeah, no, that and was... I, 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 I couldn't believe they bought me it. It's like, what the hell? Um, and we went, it's like, that. that's a lot of money. Like, for a kid who's in high school at this point, 
And yeah, I'm working a part-time job, but there was no way I could have afforded that, and and they got me it, and it's still here, it's still working, and it's, still it's working. amazing. That's, I was about yep. to ask that. I, I feel like those those seventh generation consoles, especially the early models, both the, the PS3 and the 360, just had sort of such a bad rap in terms of staying functional. And I was like, my first my first concern was that your parents would have gotten you this console, and it didn't keep on working. No, th- thankfully, it's I, I'm one of the lucky ones. It is still working. I haven't actually had, uh, fingers crossed here, a red ring of death or the yellow light of death on the PlayStation. So I'm I'm very fortunate in that regard. But I, I as I says, I have a I have the giant um, the nerd cave here. I love collecting consoles of all generations, and that I'm a big fan of of having them so much though so that I've, I've grown to the point now like because retro gaming is going through a bit of a boon at the moment mm-hmm. with all these people making these amazing add-ons so like you've got the ossc that can upscale you've got the frame meister that does the same thing but now you've got people out there who are actually making these hdmi mods and bringing these retro consoles into the digital age and like my latest addition to that was I just got one of those GCHD Mark II adapters that now allow me to play my GameCube through HDMI if I wanted to. Uh, but it also comes with the analog connection that I can plug into the OSSC. And it's like, it's just great, but I'm sitting here looking at all my consoles going, I don't actually want to use the family consoles and upgrade them. I want to buy another one of the consoles and then upgrade that one instead. So the original ones are still the original console that I had. Like, just for that nostalgic, for those memories of this is the console I grew up with. Because I still have my old Mega Drive. Even though I speedrun, I speedrun on a Genesis because I need the 60 hertz rather than the 50 hertz. But my Mega Drive is still there and I can plug it in and I can set it up. Everything's 10% slower and you can hear it, but it's there and it works. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the uh, when it comes to maintaining a, a collection of consoles that it has. We have not gotten to this point where I think you have sort of two things. One is what you already mentioned, which is the ability to connect the consoles to modern televisions. Which you know, whether that's through a, a, a sort of external converter like an OSSC or uh, RetroTINK or something like that, or you know, also I I feel like I see a lot now too, where like very very high level enthusiasts are are doing mods directly to you know the unit itself uh and then also too i think the other part of it is i i you know cartridge based uh ever drives flash carts have been around for a bit too but now i think we're really seeing a lot of the early disc based consoles get attention especially because uh those lasers and and discs are starting to fail uh have you gotten much in into doing like flash carts or, or optical drive emulators Yep, I'm down the rabbit hole. Unfortunately, I I went down the uh, the the full retro rabbit hole. So I I actually own uh, an EverDrive X7 for the N64 and the Mega Drive. It's how I do my speedruns. It's how I can play games like Ocarina of Time Randomizer on hardware as well. And it's great because people come into my stream and they're like, your quality on gameplay looks amazing. It's like, how are you doing this? It's like I spent a fortune, but it was worth it. Um, and the like, Everdrives are just—they are fantastic. Like, my next purchase is going to be a um, one of the Game Boy Advance Everdrives because I've got a Game Boy Player, and now because I have that and I can connect it up through HDMI, not only is it going to allow me to play the GameCube games, I now have access to the entire Game Boy Advance library as well, so I can play them too. 
And they're absolutely amazing. And as you say, EverDrive has been around for a while, but we are now moving on to the uh, optical disk emulators where people are replacing their disk drives with the ability to read an SD card or a hard drive or some other storage medium and still run on these consoles. The number one question people ask from this, though, is at what point are you no longer running on original hardware? It's like... I, I understand the feeling, like especially in terms of like speedrunning mm-hmm. and, and leaderboards and that. They're like, oh, wh- like, wh- what do you want to do with this? It's like you're technically running on, say, for example, a PlayStation. You are running on a PlayStation, but you're not using the disc. Now, what's good about these people that are making the uh, optical drive emulators is that they are still aiming for an, an authentic experience. And you see people doing these comparison videos, and they're pretty dang close. Like, they're not 100% there, but without scrutinizing the video, you wouldn't be able to tell. And it's things like that that's just, it's absolutely amazing seeing this, because as we all know, hardware will fail eventually. You're going to lose the ability to play on console just because capacitors have failed or the laser has failed or some other mechanical part that can no longer be replaced has failed. And at that point, what do you do? It's like, well, you either buy a whole new console or you move to emulator. And I am 100% for emulation. If people can create accurate emulators, of which there are out there, more than happy for people to use that because accessibility is more important than being a purist in my opinion and it comes to this point where we're seeing like going one step further from the um optical drive emulations as you've got these fpga consoles you've got analog out there with the um mega sg the super nt and even now there did pre-orders for the analog pocket which is an all-in-one solution for handheld consoles it had adapters to play almost any single handheld game and it sold out in seconds their pre-orders just like they went and it's like that's going to come out here and these people are all out there creating new ways to play these retro games and bringing them into the modern age and i love it i love every second of it yeah i'm right there with you i you know, to me always the most important thing you know first is accessibility and then it's also when it, you know when it comes to discussions around speedrunning, I think more than anything else, like the the important thing is just to be transparent. I, I think that's always because I I I will as someone who speedruns obscure games, sometimes I do just <laughs> make a new leaderboard and I leave it in my comment. Is I ran this on you know on Sio on PlayStation. You know I don't have a disc copy of this weird obscure PlayStation One game, and I you know I try to make it as transparent as possible and and. You know the the labor and the research in sort of assessing what are the differences. I think that's worthwhile labor, but always it's the labor. I think shouldn't be to disqualify things. It should just be to make the the differences apparent and understandable, and to you know to like make it accessible. And and so all these ways, you know, these various you know levels of uh you know uh, accessibility, new products, comfortable ways of doing things, convenience. Um, Oh, it's exciting. I'm 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 glad to. I think we we're we're already on the same page on some of this hardware. I know I, I have some of the same stuff. I already have you know a, a Game Boy Advance EverDrive with the Game Boy Player and the Game Boy Interface software and all that. You know, so I'm definitely uh, right there with you. 
uh this has been a good tangent i'm gonna bring us back to the script though <laughs> Oops. uh no it was, it's been on my mind too so i'm actually it was really really glad to hear what you had to say on it i did want to ask um you know we we've been we're obviously focused here especially because we're both i think speedrunners who have especially an interest in some of that uh fourth fifth sixth generation uh console era type stuff uh on those kinds of single player experiences but i always like to ask uh you know growing up the past two decades uh, there's been a lot of really big phases of internet gaming. Internet gaming is now a primary thing for for people in a way that it wouldn't have been, you know, of course, in, in the 90s. Did you have any phases with things like uh, Counter-Strike or League or anything like that? Oh, yeah, I played League. I, I played League for about seven years. Um, I joined League back in Season 2, and for me, it was a case of... I'm playing this game, I enjoy it. Then season three hit and it was, hey, I could potentially become pro on this one. Tried it through season three, four, five, and then in season six, um, I decided, right, if I don't break in, uh, break out of platinum this season and get to diamond, going pro is not happening. I didn't get any diamond, I got stuck in platinum again. So I just decided at that point, do you know what? I'm just going to play this game for fun now. I will play it off and on and that's fine. Um, but I, I definitely played a lot of MMOs in that. I played Lord of the Rings Online. I played um, uh, The Old Republic. I, I jumped from MMO to MMO during my uh, my my high school years. That's what I did because we'd go into high school and during our breaks, we'd just sit and talk about the MMOs that we were playing because we'd always play together. Um, and my big one was that instead of WoW. And then League was on the side and we had... Like we had all the all the, the big games and that that came out is what we would talk about and what we would play. And and that that's kinda just what happened. We transitioned from, from the single player experiences to into that multiplayer setup until unfortunately local multiplayer kinda just went the way of the dodo. It's like, oh, alright, local's not a thing anymore, huh? Yeah, I feel like the only scene that really survived that was I. I have some you know uh, local friends who are into fighting games, and that's like the one, <laughs> the one, the one true ship that is still sailing. Everyone else is online now. Yeah, definitely fighting game. Like I, I love Smash. We, we, I've played Smash all the way through since '64. I'm terrible at it. I'm great against my local friends, but when we go to anyone who's actually professional at it, oh god, no, like no. The Scottish, the Scottish scene just came up to us and was like, yo, new members, this is great. And they were friendly as all heck, but they kicked our butt. Like, they absolutely trounced us. And we just left there going, yep, we were no good there. Yeah, no, that, that's, I, I think I had a similar revelation when I went to, to college. And I learned I learned about, I think like I, I got to my, my freshman dorm in like 2006. And they were like, hey, you want to learn about wave dashing? And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> what's this tech oh, no, no. Uh, all right well so we've covered some other areas of gaming now how about how did you learn about speedrunning? when did that first catch your attention uh, Speedrunning for me first caught my attention around 2012 2013 uh specifically with games on quick uh i saw this channel of people playing all these different types of games um on Twitch. Like, Twitch to me was a completely new experience. I didn't know about Justin TV. I'm a Twitch baby. It's like I, I came on when Twitch was already established, and that's when I created my account. And I was watching Games Done Quick, awesome Games Done Quick, summer Games Done Quick, and I loved it. It was one of those things. It's like two times during a year, I get to watch this amazing event where these people absolutely dominate games. And at the time, I always thought, 
there's no way I could do any of this. Like, look at all this stuff. These people are nuts. So I watched it for basically four or five years, not doing anything. Always saying in the back of my mind, maybe I'll give it a go, but never actually taking the dive. And it wasn't until 2016 when I decided, do you know what? I want to start streaming and I also want to start speedrunning. And that's when I finally dove into speedrunning, like in 2016. What was the game that helped push you over the edge into actually speedrunning yourself? For me, it wasn't one particular game, but it was an event. In 2016, for Sonic's 25th anniversary, the Sonic speedrun community, specifically a member named Sega Junkie, who went by Mike A9 back then, made an event named Sonic Speed R. And the idea was to speedrun a single Sonic game every day for 25 days. And they had it all listed out. These were the games. These were how to go and get them. These were how to play them, etc., etc. All skill levels were welcome. Doesn't matter if you were top place world record holders or you were just trying out the first time. I decided I was going to try it out. Why not? Let's introduce myself to the community. Let's see what happens. Ended up playing through all 25 games alongside two other people, Flying Fox and Hypersonic. We were the only three people who played through all 25 games. Scoring system was a bit naff because well, they tried to do a scoring system for that. didn't really work. So if you didn't play some of the games, you kind of got punished for not playing them. But at the end of it, I came out with a love for speedrunning, specifically Sonic Adventure DX. I enjoyed playing that game. It took me over an hour to finish the challenge, which was just complete Sonic story. And by the end of that month, I decided I want to get better at that game. And that was when I finally started getting fully into speedrunning. Cool. That's, that's you know, it's neat that your gateway there wasn't necessarily just a single game, but was sort of a, a community event, which I, I think speaks to uh, the value of running events aimed at getting people into speedrunning, especially something like that, where it's, you know, just just pick up whatever games you want. All skill levels welcome. I think it's a it's always a, a good approach because otherwise it, it is possible to get stuck in that mindset of wow look at how good these people are at you know GDQ which is often many many guests on this program's uh, first you know first exposure to speedrunning I well, I can't possibly do that and the answer is like maybe you're not going to do exactly that but you know you can discover for yourself you know what what it is that you'll you'll like about uh, the activity um, you know going from there you said you got into speedrunning at the same time that you were starting to stream. Um, do you feel like with, with streaming, anything's been really, really big for you that you, you've become uh, like, ah, yes, this is my thing. I'm the, this game streamer. Yeah. I'm the Sonic guy. <laughs> well, is it, is it Sonic? Is Sonic? So I'm not, you know, I, I have to put a disclaimer out here. I am not very well versed in platformer games, and so most of my Sonic experience actually comes from in 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 my undergraduate years. I ran a video game cover band where we played a lot of original Sonic music. Um, so that was most of my knowledge about about Sonic. And so coming into this, you know, I'm not sure, you know, if like the Sonic community like fractures along like 3D versus 2D or, or what, you know, what the case might be. And so I was kind of curious if you felt because obviously from you telling me, I know that you both do the original Sonic games as well as Sonic Adventure. 
but I don't know if that's you know how a, a viewer might might perceive what you're doing as a streamer. Uh, the the Sonic community is is interesting. You you are right in that regard. I think that most people pick a side and stick with it. Um, they're either a fan of the classics and like the two D games, or they are a three D player. Very rarely will somebody pick up both sides of the coin. Um, they either do one or the other, and that's just a preference. Like at the right, end of the preference. day, people play the games. <laughs> yeah, they, they they pick the games that they find fun. So for me, it was a case of, well, I've grew up with Sonic. Sonic is, like, it is the game that I started in my childhood, lived all the way through my teenage years, and I'm still playing in in my 20s, almost my 30s. It's like, I will always love Sonic. And at the time when I when I first started, like, when I first started actually streaming, I wasn't streaming to be a speedrunner. Um, it was, I was streaming anything and everything. Like, I... For me, I wasn't trying to make it big. I wasn't trying to make it into a, a job or a career or anything. It was just a hobby. And it was simply because, well, I'm playing video games when I go home anyway. I might as well stream it. And it just it went from there. So this obviously, with no aim to do anything, I didn't get anywhere. I wasn't, I wasn't growing, and I wasn't, but I wasn't looking to. And it wasn't until I picked up speedrunning around the similar time frame that I decided, do you know what? Now I want to actually see if I can take this somewhere. I want to see if I can make it into a job. And people were always saying, well, find your niche. What's your niche? And it's like, well, my niche can be Sonic. Not just, oh, they play the classic games or they play the modern games. No, no. My niche is I am Sonic. If you give me something Sonic related, I have either have played it already or I will play it. And it's not just official games. I'll play fan games. I'll play ROM hacks. I'll play f- demos of things that people have made that are Sonic related. Like I will play it. I will check it out. I will have a great time with it. And that that's what my overall goal was. And then in 2017, I decided at that point, that's when I had the beginnings of the idea of what if I could speedrun every Sonic game? And I had a look at the list of all the games on speedrun.com and then you take away all the duplicate versions of the games, because obviously some games were on multiple consoles, so they have different leaderboards for them. And it's like, take out the duplicate games, and there's a hefty amount there. There's like 60-odd games in there. So it's like, that's an overall long-term goal to try and reach. And at the time as well, speedrunning was transitioning into this thing of people doing live attempts rather than just recording. So no longer was it watching two big events a year events were springing up every time like every month there was an, a new event looking for runners to come and play and, vi- and attempts were done live and people were watching and watching records being set left right and center and you could either catch it on youtube afterwards once the runner had uploaded it or you were there in the moment living the hype and it's like everybody like streaming and speedrunning were evolving together and i just happened to to jump onto that bandwagon, really? No, it sounds like you you got there at the right time, especially I, I, to the transition of is it focused on events to more events to you know being focused on you know specific individual streamer channels and the you know the following the the narrative of live attempts, you know, which I think for a lot of uh, viewers of individual speedrun streamers is part of part of the appeal, you know, the hype of seeing someone sort of uh, approach their goal over time. Uh, let's do some quick uh, takes on overall speedrunning stuff. Uh, of all the games that you have done runs of, 
What's your favorite speed run? Sonic Mania. There you go. That's that's always the easy one. The hard one, though. What's your least favorite? Least favorite game I've ever speed run. Hold on, let me load up Life well, Split and see if. I- oh no, I know. <laughs> Kirby's Dream Course. Oh god, I hate that game. <laughs> Oh, I oh I entered um, speedruns live season two, thinking this could be a good idea to try something new. Let's go enter SRL season two, where they'll announce a game at the end of the week, and you've got a week to learn it, and then you do a race on Saturday night, and then the process repeats for however many games they were playing. They did some really fun ones like Quake and surprisingly Wipeout. Like, Wipeout was really fun. As a racing game, you didn't think, like, well, you can speedrun a racing game, but it's not really. You, you wouldn't think, like, there's much you can do to speed that up other than just get good at the video game. But it was a surprisingly fun game to play. And there was other ones in there, like Princess Remedy and A World of Her, like all these little obscure games. They were great fun. And then they pulled out Kirby's Dream Course. Now, full disclosure, the person who picked Kirby's Dream Course had a full written tutorial, shot by shot, telling you exactly what you needed to do and you could finish the game. I still hated it. It's so annoying and so frustrating to play. It's like, I never want to do this as a speedrun again. Casually, you could have a lot of fun with it. It could be an interesting stream or two. But as a speedrun, just no because any tiny mistake you made, that was it. You were done. You were trying to make up strokes for something. And the worst thing about it is if you gamed over, you were back at the start. And for some reason, they made the challenge to be complete the full game. And it's just like, nah, I never I never want to do that again. No, thank you. Goodness, that sounds so punishing. Uh, I couldn't believe that, for, especially for a... Uh, uh you know, a segment like that where you're supposed to actually learn it in a week, that seems like that seems like an overwhelming game, even with the tutorial that's provided by the person who submitted it. It was yeah, that's the thing. Like it wasn't even a full blown tutorial. It was literally here's how you run the video game in text format with links to YouTube videos so you could see the individual shots and it's just like I appreciate the effort that they went through to make this. Like this is perfect for anybody that wants to learn it. But executing it was just a different beast. All right, one more, one more specific game on here, and this one is uh, a game that you would like to speed run, but either you haven't gotten around to it, or you just don't feel like it's the right time to pick it up. Mm, a game that I would like to speed run. See, the thing is, there's lots out there. Like, I would love to speed run so many games, like Final Fantasy VII Remake, A Hat in Time, Death Wish. Um, they, those are games like I'm in the process of learning those games, but I don't show them on stream because I'm the Sonic guy at the moment. But I do want to branch out into these other games, and it's just like I, I would. There's so many speedruns I would love to do, but it's time. Like it's this is one of the moments where I think streaming uh, negatively impacts speedrunning because I've painted myself as a specific streamer, as a specific. Um, speedrunner viewers will come for those games or that series of games and there are like I have a core audience who will come regardless of what I'm playing like they, they are fine with that but there are those people who will only come for X Sonic game or X series and if I deviate from that my numbers take a hit 
Yeah, I mean that, that's uh, you know, it, I, I've been having this conversation a lot with you know with uh, some of the streamers that have been on recently, the speedrunners, and that's I, I you know just a topic that I feel like is on everyone's mind, especially when you first find some success. You know, the, the question sort of becomes, how do I formulate that long term plan that lets me you know more uh you know sp- spread out like that how do you how do you successfully do that which i think is definitely that's uh, I mean, i'm sure you're aware that you are not the only person who who thinks about that as you know how to how to achieve that sort of um success wherever you want to take it obviously you know it sounds like you're pretty happy with sonic you're having fun so it's not you know it's not an emergency but uh certainly something you're thinking about Oh yeah, no, definitely. It's it's something that's always on my mind. Um, And my way of trying to combat it right now is to have a casual stream. Have a casual stream once a week. Like I stream five days a week and I decided, right, one of them is going to just be a casual stream. And what do we play in the casual stream? It could be an indie game. It could be one of the other speedruns I want to do. It could be... Fall Guys? Okay, I'll admit it. It's just been Fall Guys. I'm sorry, it's been Fall Guys, okay? (laughs) But um, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I do want to branch out. I do want to do it, but I have to be aware. Like, I, I am seeing some growth at the moment. I want to capitalize on that as well. Eventually, I might get to a point where I can say, hey, we can do a little bit more. You'll get Sonic one day. You'll get something else the next day. Come check it out. But very few streamers are successful playing complete variety. Um, and one thing that really stuck with me uh, is uh, what, one of my speedrunning friends, Bow the Hero, said something that's really stuck with me, and that's don't let your stream be dictated by the timer. Take a stream or two off, remove the timer, and just have fun because you will burn out if you don't. And that's something that's just really stuck with me through it. It's like, yeah, that's why you do a casual day remove that timer just enjoy gaming and when you're talking about the the timer you're talking about the the live split timer the speed run timer mm-hmm. i'm talking about the speed run timer remove the speed run timer don't worry about it so i was actually that was literally going to be my next question because from watching uh you know some of the vods that you shared with me i it seemed conspicuous in fact it was it was funny because i i think i had watched the sonic mania plus one and then i watched the sonic eight one and and I kind of inferred, especially from the endings, uh, you know, that you don't have your splits visible to you uh, while while doing the run. And I said, well, wait a second, doesn't this mean that if you miss a split, you're gonna end up not being uh, on the right segment? And then during <laughs> during the Sonic uh, Adventure DX All Stories video, that does happen once in your chat. Very helpful. Uh, they're able to to get you back on track. Uh, but I'm just curious. I, I can guess. But I, you know, would rather hear it from you. What's your reasoning for not having the the splits visible to you while running? I perform better when I can't see what pace I'm on. It was like I don't know when I realized this, but it was one of these moments where I was sitting playing a game and I was getting frustrated at it because anytime you know you make a mistake and you look over at the splits and you're on really good pace, and you see that pace disappearing, or you look over, and you're not having a good run, and you see the red, and it just negatively impacts your mindset. You're like, this run sucks, it's not going well, I don't want to finish this run, etc., etc. And it causes you to reset, and just puts you in a negative space. I just decided, 
I'm hiding my splits. And when I started to do that, my runs improved. And I don't know if that's just because I was no longer thinking about the overall time or I couldn't see the overall time. It was just I started performing better. I wasn't under that stress to perform. Now, I still get runs where I absolutely blunder and I'm plus two minutes on my splits. And you're like, how is this person so happy at this run? And it's like, because I can't see how badly I'm doing. I'm just going by how I feel on the run. And there's some parts where I feel like I did really well and other parts where I'm like, okay, I didn't do as well as I could have done on this one. I know I've lost a little bit of time, but it's not that bad because I don't see how drastic it was. So I still get to continue in that positive mindset instead. And then I get to look over the splits at the end of the run and go, there's that section where I thought I did well. Oh, I didn't actually do as well as I thought, but there's that section that I thought I really whiffed and turns out it wasn't actually that bad. Whereas if I'd saw my splits, I may have had a completely different reaction. It does bring the issue, as you say, where sometimes I miss a split. I'm too busy talking to chat or I'm too busy commentating and I forget to hit the split button. But thankfully, if I feel like I've missed a split or I have missed a split and not noticed, chat's very quickly to tell me, hey, you need to skip a split. You missed it. But I also have just the tiniest little edge the left hand edge of live split visible so i know when my split actually moves down so i have the live split icon that tells me like it moved to the next stage okay but that's where i love auto splitters especially for sonic mania um claris robin made an auto splitter for mania and it just does it all itself and it's amazing because i don't have to worry about (laughs) it shout out to the people who make auto splitters they're uh oh definitely such such a wonderful luxury uh when you can have them it's it's really night and day it's it's funny for me because I'll, I'll go between learning you know gta and then learning some game that no one's ever heard of or speedrun before and it's like oh manual splitting again here we are in the coal mines uh but you know just li- living it out there one other uh speedrun question i want to get in terms of just stuff that i noticed from watching you watching your videos uh, I think I saw that you have um, like compression gloves on. Do you have a particular approach to to maintaining health and speedrunning? Uh, this is actually a recent thing that I started doing. Um, I noticed on Twitter that there were a few professional players of other games and that saying how they were getting cramps and their hands were getting stressed and they were having problems. And then there were, it reminded me of some other speedrunners that were saying like, oh, I can't speedrun as effectively as I used to because I went hard for it on a year and like now my hands are, are sore and I can't do it as often. And I just, and it was like, I don't want to do that. I want to be gaming while I'm 80. I still want to be playing video games, not necessarily speedrunning, but I still want to be playing them. So it's like, I got to take care of myself. So I like to do like little hand stretches before I start streaming. And then I wear the compression gloves as well. They're, they're a complete meme. People will see them and they'll be like, yo, you're wearing gamer gloves. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I'm wearing gamer gloves. Then they'll genuinely ask like, no, but why are you actually wearing them? And it's like, well, it's to prevent repetitive strain injury. Do they work? Some people say yes. Other people say no. For me... I'm not feeling as much stress on my hands because specifically for Sonic games, especially the classic games, well, you're holding a classic Genesis controller. You've got what we call piano rolling, which is where you roll your thumb over the A, B, and C button because they're right next to each other. And you do that at a fast pace. It's really fast. It's really fast mashing. 
but it can really hurt your wrist because you're flicking your wrist a lot while you're doing that. And if you're stressing up while you're doing it, you're going really hard and you're focusing, you're putting a lot of stress on your hand and your wrist there. Compression gloves will help minimize that, but it's also being aware that be more relaxed while you play as well, not to injure yourself. So if this helps mitigate and prevent me from damaging myself, then I'm all for it. And that's why I've started wearing them. I actually got the idea from um, TGH because mm-hmm. I, w- I watched them do their Celeste streams uh, a couple of years ago uh, that they were doing it. And then they started wearing these gloves. And it's like, do you know what? That actually makes sense. And then I finally got around to doing it myself as well. Yeah, I've been really heartened to see, especially even people who, you know, it it sounds like this wasn't necessarily a case where you experienced some kind of intense soreness and then went to went to kind of mitigate it. But, you know, I'm I feel like I'm seeing more and more runners, you know, even teenagers or people in their younger 20s uh, take steps to be, you know, to, to be engaging in preventative work, which is wonderful. It's great. Like, let me tell you, as someone, uh, someone in their 30s. Uh, do that. Absolutely do that. Because once, sometimes when things break, uh, it's a new feature of your body and it's not great. So uh, I'm definitely glad to see it. And I encourage anyone listening to also, you know, take that approach of, you know, safeguarding your health as much as possible. All right. So one more, one more general speedrun question here, which is, I always like to ask, do you feel like when it comes to your time in speedrunning, do you have a particular uh, like mission statement or do you see yourself as having a, a certain niche role such as grinding runs or finding glitches or things like that? I like to focus on being an entertainer is my thing. I am blending being a professional streamer with being a professional speedrunner. I don't like doing reset after reset after reset. I think that's not the best way to go about speedrunning because you will try and perfect the early game. You will try and get that perfect summer best gold split for the first four or five splits of your run and you will reset and reset and reset and it's just not interesting to see the beginning of the game over and over again, especially since you'll get out of the early game with a part of the run that you're happy with and then immediately flub it in the mid game because you didn't practice it. And it's like... I like the idea of just going through full game runs, then mixing it up, saying, right, which parts did I struggle with? Which parts did I need more practice at? I'm going to do half an hour of practicing these sections. Then I'm going to do another run again. Um, and I just, I like the idea of being able to put on a good show. Somebody will come into the stream and they will be guaranteed at least one full speed run so they can see it depending on when they come in the stream. Obviously, if they come in at the end, there ain't a whole lot I can do about that. But the main idea is, no, no, you're going to come in, you're going to see a full game speed run, and hopefully you'll enjoy your time here. No, that makes sense. I, I think that's uh, a- acknowledging and being cognizant of the, the value and effort that's put into the presentation part of it, You know, especially from a live human speaking to other humans uh, part of it. Uh, that is that is a, a labor in itself and you know certainly something that uh, some people put a lot of work into and it sounds like you know that's something you're being very very mindful of yeah no definitely um i mean it's one of these moments where being able to put on a show like that is not something i ever thought i was doing like i i have never i i didn't take drama i'm not trained in theater or acting or anything like that i was always more of a technical person in school i took maths i took physics 
I took like all I took computing, I took all that kind of stuff. I wasn't really interested in acting or or drama or the theatrics or anything like that. And now here I am streaming to a couple of people that are just sitting and chilling, enjoying some speedruns. And it's like, no, I, I want to put on a show. I want people to be able to come in, enjoy themselves, brighten up their day, and just have a good time with me. And it, that, that's kind of how I've grew into my commentary style as well. Like, if people watch... If they've ever ha- watched any of my marathon runs, my my gimmick, so to speak, is I will speak very fast and I will be as informative as I can while having the biggest smile on my face. And a running meme is, does Arg ever breathe? Because I will continue talking at 100 miles an hour and will not stop to take a breath. And that's just something I've grew into naturally over time. And I like to think that that's just because... It's me focusing on trying to put on a good show, and that is a natural byproduct from it. No, that's that's a that's a sound approach. All right, let's move forward into talking about some of these games, uh, and I'd be very curious too. Uh, so the first one that I watched for preparing for this interview was your uh, Sonic Mania Plus Sonic and Tails good ending uh, in, in fifty two forty eight, and. I wanted to ask, uh, Sonic Mania Plus, that's something that is, that's a, a sort of throwback to older Sonics. This was, that came out much more recently. Uh, was this something that you were involved with right from when it came out in terms of speedrunning? Yes. And it's something I was super happy that I actually was able to do this time. Because I came in at 2016, uh, with Sonic Adventure DX, then moved over to some of the classic games. The classic games were already established. They were already routed. Like, there was not much to to change. There was not much to, to find, to discover. And for me, it was a case of, all right, I'm effectively learning the run by copying what other people have done. For Sonic Mania, this was a case of, oh God, there's a brand new Sonic game that looks like the classic games and looks absolutely amazing. I'm going to play this. And... I played the living fudge out of it. I immediately pre-ordered it. I got the special edition on the PlayStation because that's all the place we could buy it. And it was like, right, the PC version's coming. It's coming two weeks later. And I was just like, I don't care. The first week, I am playing this game casually. I am playing it to death and it's going to be amazing. And then after it is when we all started getting together in the Sonic Speedrun Discord with the Mania channel that was created. And we started routing. And we were like... We can route these stages. We can find what tricks and glitches in that that there are. We can see what we can do. And I got to actively be a part of that. And it was one of the greatest feelings in the world being able to go, I helped make what this is now. Do you have a a favorite contribution to routing or a particular application of tech that you'd want to sort of brag about? The one thing that's in the game for me is that I found a way to do a trick with Knuckles that is far more consistent than the original strat. The original strat had you jumping down from a high height and timing a glide to do a super bounce off a ring box, which meant you got one attempt at it. And if you didn't get it, you failed it. And that was it. Above that ring box, there is a ramp with a special stage ring. With Knuckles, it's faster to get all the Chaos Emeralds than it is not getting the Chaos Emeralds because of the special stage tech. So for every character other than Sonic, getting the Chaos Emeralds means you will get a faster time. 
You can thank the special stage tech for that. But because of that, you can grab the big ring, immediately transform into Super Knuckles, and then do a spin dash jump off the little slope that's there and just get enough height to be able to turn around and glide onto a wall and climb up the wall, taking you to the same location the Super Bounce would do, but it's far more consistent to pull off, and you can try it as many times as you need to. It's not one and done, and it still exists in the route today. You know, sometimes those are the best kinds of things to find. The you know, I I definitely feel like a lot I've contributed. That's often been my contribution as well. Is someone finds something that is deeply unreliable or inconvenient to do, and I'm like, well, how about this? Which is you know, you can try it multiple times. It doesn't immediately clear on. So that's really exciting. I feel like that's the that's like the true relief to other speedrunners is you know, and instead of making a run that's super stressful, you can sort of r- relax a little bit. Uh, you know, the other thing too, of course, this game has a bunch of different categories. Now, this Sonic entails good ending. Uh, I think that's the current that's the current record for that category, right? It is. Uh, Sonic Mania had the interesting side effect of having Mania Plus release, um, and unfortunately, Mania Plus fixed a large amount of glitches. Um, one specific one was that it changed the way the physics worked for Knuckles and Sonic. Um, They used to be able to roll down slopes to gain an endless amount of speed. That got patched out. We couldn't do that anymore. Because you could roll, jump, roll, jump, roll, jump. But as long as you were holding down while you jumped, you wouldn't actually jump off the ramp. You would just build up speed constantly. And because that got patched out, the community made the overall choice to separate the leaderboards from the original Mania and Mania Plus, because effectively, unless you were able to get a hold of Original Mania, which you can do on PC, but you cannot do on console, mm. you wouldn't be able to compete against these times because they were doing tricks and glitches that are no longer available. And then came the problem as well, where in Mania Plus, they fixed old stuff, but new stuff was discovered, and some of the new stuff didn't work on the older version because whatever changes they made weren't in the older version so we just made the decision to split the leaderboard there unfortunately that did effectively mean it was a leaderboard wipe and some runners just didn't come back to the game after that they did their stint in mania they done it for a year they're not coming back to do it again in mania plus and they moved on um i stuck with it because i loved the game and with me primarily being a good ending runner I decided, like, no, I'm, I'm going. This is going to be my main category. I want to grind this down, and I got the first sub fifty three minute time. I got it fairly recently as well, and it was the new. It is the current record for for the game, which is amazing. But I know people will come in and can take it because there are still tricks that we haven't done because they are just ridiculous level. Like, you try it, you fail it, you've killed your run. And unfortunately, both of them are on the second last and the last level of the game. So it's like, why would I play this game for 50-odd minutes to try and ruin my chance? It's like, no. But somebody will be insane enough to do it eventually. It might even be me. But until it's beaten, I'm quite content with where it is at the moment. Now, so that's your future plans for for this category. Do you have any other goals for uh, Sonic Mania or Sonic Mania Plus in terms of uh, approaching other categories? Specifically for me, my main goal was to make sure that I can consistently run every single character under a sub-hour time. 
And the reason for that is because I want to be able to submit Sonic Mania to marathons and go, hey, have a character bid war. Let the audience decide which characters they want to see and raise money for a good cause. I did it once for ESA back in 2018. They did an event named ESA Movember. It was an online event that they were hosting, raising money for the Movember Foundation. And we had a character bid war for it. And it was between Knuckles and Tails. And it raised a ridiculous amount of money because everybody wanted Knuckles for the meme and people wanted Tails because he's Tails. No. And the fighting just went back and forth and back <laughs> and forth. It was amazing. That's a good fight to, to pit. I, that's Knuckles versus Tails. It's very powerful. I, I applaud that. I, you know, I don't think I remember that at the time. I was I was in that event, uh, although doing doing much more sinful things uh, than, <laughs> than having a wonderful character bid war. Uh, let's move on. Actually, so you, we talked a little bit there about you know different different categories, and also you've mentioned even earlier in the interview your interest in doing a lot of Sonic speedruns, and so it's probably not surprising then that uh, one of the things uh, that I watched that you had given to me was your current PB for the Sonic Eight, which is a uh, sort of a, a eight game compilation of. The older games, they're all, I, I think, uh, kind of pre, pre-adventure, pre I would say, is probably the way I would describe it. Uh, how did you come to do this compilation? Uh, what, what sort of got you... What, at what point did you say, okay, the Sonic 8 is something I want to do? Uh, so the Sonic 8 originally began life as the Sonic 7. Uh, Pre-Mania. Mania didn't exist yet. And there's a streamer that I watch and I look up to named Big John. Uh, he's a variety speedrun streamer. Speedruns, Mega Man, Zelda, Sonic, you name it, he's probably speedrun it. And at the time, before I was taking speedrunning seriously, he was one of the streamers that I, I was watching. And once I'd found my niche and went, I want to be a Sonic speedrunner, I was still watching him, I was getting ideas, and I just decided to randomly ask him on Twitter one day. It's like, hey, I saw you doing the, the, the Sonic 7 there. Nobody else really runs it. You made it up. It's, it's a multi-game speedrun of the 16-bit games. Do you mind if I run it with you? And his response was, you do you, buddy. And I was like, okay then. I'm going to try it. And that was it. Um, Big John created it. Uh, he runs it. Still runs it to this day as well. And I run it alongside him. I believe there's one other person that I know that ran it that currently has the record named Grimmy Hunter. Uh, but it's it's an interesting run because it's eight games or seven games, now eight thanks to Mania. Once Mania came out, we added Mania to it because Mania is a callback to the 16-bit style. So the Sonic 8 is effectively an eight-game speedrun of the 16-bit style games. It's got all the Genesis titles in it, plus Mania. And it's a challenge because you have to decide mid-run which tricks you're going for. Now, Sonic games are notorious for being able to just fly through the levels at a super high speed, doing things like level wraps and zips where you get yourself in a certain position and you go past the very left-hand side boundary and the game doesn't like that, so it sends you all the way over to the right, which is the end of the level. And you complete Metropolis in like 20 seconds instead of spending two minutes on the stage. The problem with those glitches is that they are very hard to perform. You can spend minutes trying to get them and just lose all that time save. 
doing that in an eight-game relay effectively is you've got to pick and choose the glitches you want to do. Now, ideally, you aim for all of them and you get all of them and you set the perfect run. That's not going to happen, quite frankly. Like, you're going to try and do very good in the early game. By the time you get to the eighth game, you're probably going to be a little bit tired. You're probably not focusing entirely 100% and you make a mistake. And it's like, oops, there goes that perfect run. But that can happen in any game. And it's got Spinball in there. Spinball is random, Spinball is evil, and Spinball is a cruel mistress. A lot of people put Spinball as the very first game because of that. I've got it as the second last game because I'm just the numpty. But it's things like that that just, it's a challenge and it's fun because viewers like to watch things that are outside of the norm. Like, this multi-game speedrun is out of the norm. It's things like that. It's like, oh, people normally do marathons of every game that they speedrun. And that's a success. People love that. They're like, oh, this person runs, like, all the Mario games, but also runs some Sonic and then does some Zelda on the side. So they can do a marathon of those over a couple of days or even in a single stream. And that's kind of what this Sonic 8 is as well. It's just, it's a challenge. Now, when you decided to take on this challenge, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume you probably already knew some of the games. Did you know all of the games or did you have to learn, say, Spinball in order to complete it? Yep, I had to learn the games. Uh, when I first started it, the only game that I knew... And even then, I didn't know it well was Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Because uh, that's a game that I've played since my childhood. I love it to death. It's amazing. The only game that can knock it off the top spot is Sonic Mania. Because they're effectively the same game, just years apart. But it was only Sonic 3 and Knuckles that I knew. Um, and when we were doing the Sonic 7, it was a case of... Alright, I know the level layouts because of my childhood. I know where things are. I know what the speedrun routes are. I know which routes I'm taking, I just need to execute them. And that's where doing no major glitches runs comes in, because it's like, I can learn the overall level layouts, I can memorize this stuff, and I can get better at my overall movement. Then I can start adding in the glitches. Even now, I still don't do all the glitches in Sonic 1 or Sonic 2, because there are some tricks that I still can't do. Like, for example, in Sonic 1, you can level wrap... In Marble, Marble 1, Marble 2, and Marble 3 all have level wraps. And I can't do any of them. I, For some reason, I just can't get these skips. They don't seem to work. To some people, they're really easy. To me, they're pretty dang hard. So I just opt to do the level instead. But that's me immediately losing like six minutes of time on that run. I do want to go back one day and learn this so I know all the glitches in these runs and improve my time. But again, that's that balance coming back of which skips do I know and can do consistently versus the ones that I can't. So I started off originally learning Sonic 3 and Knuckles, improving that. I then learned um, 3D Blast. I got inducted into the International Isometric Salt Mine, uh, who, which, was a, which is started by Amber Cyprin. Um, and I started learning that. They were a really friendly community, a really funny bunch. And I started learning that game. Simply because it's actually glitchless in general. The only thing you need to learn is the level routes. There are no glitches to take advantage of in that game. Um, and then when I was learning those, Mania came out. It got added. I started focus on Mania. Then slowly but surely, I added Spinball to it. Sonic 2 to it. Then Sonic CD. 
And the only one that's left is Sonic 1, but I still, I'm not, like, there's something about going back to the original and losing the techniques that you once had. Because one thing that I really struggle with, and it's hilarious, is because Mania is a remix of old stages with new stages, I sometimes take the wrong routes in the games because I'm thinking, oh, I'm taking the Mania route. You're not playing Mania. You're playing Sonic 1. Why did you go the bottom route in Sonic 1? It's not fast. Or I accidentally find myself trying to do the drop dash. I can't do the drop dash in Sonic 1. It doesn't exist. So it's trying to make sure you get the right muscle memory for the right game that you're playing at the time. And it's, it's again, it's part of the challenge. It's, it's part of the, the fun of it, really. I just I think it's fun. See, you already went... Sh- I didn't even have to ask you my next question. You just went straight to it, which was going to be, you know, how do you approach each l- learning each game? or and, and you just did it. You did it for me. You've taken all the work from me. <laughs> uh, so I- I'll ask the, the exit question on this game then, which is, uh, you know, certainly you mentioned that some of the ways that you could come back to this would be to really nail down and make consistent some of those things like the wraps in, in the Marble Zones. Uh, do you have plans to... to do that and then come back to this whole thing or do you feel like you've kind of uh satisfied your goal for the time being with the sonic 8 no i I definitely want to come back to it um it's it's something that i still have a lot of fun doing i want to do more of it i I like being able to do it once a week um and to that end i do change up the categories sometimes um i will do a no major glitches run of all the games which is about surprisingly only about like um 20 minutes slower like which is really weird but i think that's just because that's my skill in the games is improving so if i go back to the sonic 8 with the glitches i could get that time even lower again um but i do want to go back and improve the glitches on that one um the current pb that i did show you is my pb that i set just after um i set my or i beat my goal which was i wanted to get a sub four hour time uh, before 2020 happened and on the 29th of december the final weekend the final saturday of 2019 i broke sub hour and i was so happy that i done that i thought this is amazing i did what i wanted to do and then a couple of weeks later i was doing a marathon style commentary run where i was recording the the, the sonic 8 with full-blown marathon style commentary that i do as a submission video and then I smashed that PB by like six minutes and I'm like, what the heck? What just happened there? Like, what? I woke up one day and suddenly I'm like six minutes faster than that time that I struggled to get two weeks ago. And that that was an equally amazing feeling. And it's just like, okay, I'm done with that just now. But I do want to go back to it. And as I said, I do want to go and do no major glitches. I do want to do all emeralds as well. Uh, unfortunately, emeralds adds... A significant amount of time because each of the games has different emerald stages some of them like mania can be sped up others not so much like the half pipes in sonic 2 they're a set length there's nothing you can do about it and it adds about 20 minutes to to sonic 2 and that's just one game never mind a of them but what you're saying about sometimes you know it's it's wild especially because so much of speed running is learning and practicing and then sometimes uh you know you, you turn a corner and the skill set just clicks and you're like wow this is 
you know, something that I used to struggle with. It's not like I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> like, how how would you do it in you know in more than four hours? Like, come on, like you know, this is this is just I was focusing on commentary and I and I you know I killed my PB by five minutes. That's that's very gratifying because I think it shows that the process works. The process of learning and practicing really really does pay off in, in a way that that becomes a part of you. It does, and that's something that I I loved about it as well. Is is like I like to tell people, especially when they're struggling with something, um, like they're struggling with a glitch, they're struggling um, learning a run, they can't do something. The two main things that I will always tell people: one, difficulty is subjective. If somebody comes at you saying, "Oh, this trick is free" or "This trick is easy," I hate that. I, I hate that with a passion because something that is easy for one person may not necessarily be easy for another. People learn in different ways and that's the same with speedrunning. You could find that these frame perfect tricks are super easy for you to do and you're really consistent at them, but your movement sucks and you struggle to get good movement. And that's just something that's unique to you. And I wish people would just be like, okay, if you're struggling with it, try this. Instead of coming in and be like, that's super easy. Why can't you do it? But the other thing I'll tell people is that one day while you are practicing, you will just have that eureka moment. You might not even be trying to practice it. You might just be sitting doing something else. And then suddenly the light goes on and you can now do this trick. You were struggling with it for weeks or months. And then just suddenly something snaps into place and you go, oh, I can do this now. And it happens so many times in speedrunning. Sometimes you don't even realize it, which is amazing, because you'll just, you'll PB or you'll nail that trick, and you're going, I struggled with that for weeks, and now I've done it. And it's such a good feeling when you get that, and then you can replicate it. And suddenly that trick that was hard is now easy for you. You, you beat that goal. You hit that demon, and you manage to win. Let's move on to the last game here, which is uh, Sonic Adventure DX. Specifically, uh, the one I watched of yours was the All Stories speedrun. But I wanted to ask, so this is, you know, I mentioned earlier in the interview that this is the PC version of of DX. Uh, Do you have a a history with this game beforehand? Had, Had you played the original version when it came out on Dreamcast? Oh, yeah. I love the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast is an amazing console. I actually have a funny story about that. Uh, one day, I was uh, not feeling well. I was fairly poorly. I didn't want to go to school. It's like I, just, I was having a bad day. Was, you know, you, you feel ill. Aww. And then by about midday, I felt better. And it's like, well, there's no point in me going to school because half the day's already passed. I've already missed half my lessons. So I decided to sit upstairs and play the Dreamcast that was in my room. And I ended up playing through the entire game on Dreamcast and completing it in about four hours. I heard the school bell from the distance going off and I was in Supersonic Story. And I was quite happy with myself. Little teenage me managed to finish this game in about four hours. It was amazing. And it's just like my casual playthroughs of those games are, are great memories that I will always have. And it's just one of those things. It's like, I, I feel like it's really funny now how I'm speedrunning that game. Like, younger me would be ecstatic that I'm doing that. So this, you know, Sonic Adventure is a, a definitely a 3D platformer from, from an era that was the transition from 5th from generation to 6th generation. And I wanted to ask, how much of this game 
because I know with the the directors or the DX version that there's some additional camera options. But even with the additional camera options, how much of this game is about fighting the camera? Because it really looked like at times it was not your friend. Oh, it's janky. <laughs> the camera is janky. Hi there, I'm the N64. I'm going to play Banjo-Kazooie and your camera is stuck against the wall and you can't see anything. Yeah, Sonic Adventure DX suffers from that problem as well. Um, you, you are constantly fighting with the camera. Um, so much so that in uh, G-Pro's beginner tutorial, he has routing for which camera you should be using in which stage because it is that much of a blunder to try and get right. Um, just, it, you are fighting it. Um, it's just, it's part of the error of those games. Uh, 3D games were hard to get the cameras properly. Uh, but it's just, it's part of learning the run. Like, you gotta do it. Now, I wanted to ask, so the... Do you feel like there are specific... Uh, are, are, would you have a favorite bit of tech that you'd want to talk about? And that overall run in all yeah, stories? Yeah, like maybe some out-of-bounds stuff or... I mean, as someone who was watching it, I think the two things that really uh, jumped out to me were also just generally how uh, how permissive it was to get out of bounds. I noticed that some characters really could just kind of freely freely clip through things uh and then the other thing too was that uh in particular it seemed like gamma's story was very interesting because it was being done all out of order um so i wasn't sure maybe i was going to give you the chance to say like oh well this is my favorite thing out of all the stories all right well my my favorite thing um as you've already pointed out there is just the fact of how broken the game is in terms of going out of bounds I love the fact, like, this is, again, to me, I think this is just a generational thing, but you can literally see the seams of levels. And I like to describe Sonic Adventure DX as just this giant jigsaw where you're moving from one piece to the other piece, but you can stand in the middle of two pieces, see where they're supposed to be joined together, and just go, I'm going through that way. Um, and you just you're spin dashing through walls like it is literally the game does not have walls there's one specific out of bounds that i love that is in ice cap um and in ice cap the stages are split into different acts first one you're supposed to go through a whole bunch of caves we don't do that we just jump over a hole and we skip it the second one you're supposed to go in go up to the very top of the level to drop an icicle that opens up the bridge we don't do that we clip through the bridge because we can't the third one is meant to be a giant snowboarding section. And we can, in the tunnel leading up to the snowboard, there is a part of the wall that you can see and you go, I can go through that. And if you angle the camera correctly and angle Sonic correctly, or Tails, or whoever does the stage, you can just casually push yourself through the wall and you're currently falling into this white void. And they've routed it in such a way where you can hold forward using a particular reference point in the background. And as long as you dodge the invisible kill planes, which you can't see, but we've routed so we know where they are, you literally skip the entire snowboarding section and just fall to the end of the level where the Chaos Emerald is. It's absolutely hilarious and it's so dumb, but it's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I I did enjoy watching that part where you were just <laughs> basically falling down the mountain all the way past the the snowboarding section. Uh, I wanted to ask with the with the sky chase sequences, uh, 
is it just that easy to skip it like a like a gummy ship from kingdom hearts like you just kind of go to the side and you can just sort of relax during those i wish i could skip it i gotta do it four times in all stories yeah it is literally just sit in the corner and wait i am team top right usually i'll sit in the top right corner uh but yeah unfortunately sky chase add one and act two are just snooze fests sit there speak with your chat have fun uh, during marathons, it's a perfect time to read donations or plug incentives or whatever they want to talk about. Um, but yeah, it, it's time just to get up, go for a, a toilet break if you need it, because it's two to three minutes of auto-scroller. You can't do anything. Can't speed it up, can't slow it down. Well, that's a bummer. I mean, I mean, I guess the, the good news is that it probably won't kill your run. The bad news is that you're it's not getting any faster. That's, uh, I guess, the, the best case scenario for an auto-scroller. Pretty much. And you mentioned Gamma there as well. Gamma's story is hilarious. Just simply because of the way... like The the route that you watched me take there is called Glitched Route. Because we glitch it completely. And what, what we do is we play Gamma's story normally. All the way up until you finally get the Jet Booster. The Jet Booster is what makes Gamma so broken. Because once we get the Jet Booster, we're inside the Egg Carrier... And inside the egg carrier, in that particular room that you're in, is where his final level is. His final level is called Hot Shelter, but the door is locked. You can't get in there until the story goes, oh, hey, you're supposed to be here. You can go into this level now. Then comes the Out of Bounds. We can get Gamma, similar to Sonic. We can get him on a piece of level geometry that's a seam between the mesh that is holding the level together. And we can jump out of bounds. And as we jump out of bounds, we hold the jet booster, which causes us to hover, and we can head straight into the loading zone for the final level. Once we've completed the final level, we skip out of the uh, the adventure mode, and we go into the trial mode. The trial mode is where you get to select any levels that you've completed, and then play them back to try and set better times, or do other missions, and do things like that. The way the game is programmed... If you have finished a level, the game assumes, well, you must have done the level before that then, otherwise you couldn't have accessed it. And it unlocks that level in the trial menu. So because we've done Hot Shelter, it unlocks Red Mountain. So we go in, we do Red Mountain in about a minute, because at the very start of the stage, there's a set of rocks that you jump, instead of blowing them up, you jump on them, they push you out of bounds, you go finish the level. Once you've done Red Mountain, you go into Windy Valley, which is his first level. Or sorry, second level. Once you've done Windy Valley, you go back into Adventure Mode. You continue the story as normal. But instead of doing every level when it comes up, you've already done it. You just quit out of it and suddenly you're at the end of his story without having to do anything. And it sets up a lot of um, death warps. Because normally when you finish a stage and come out of the stage, it updates your last location as you came out the entrance of that level, that's where we're going to respawn you. Because you don't do that, particularly in Red Mountain, you go into Red Mountain, you immediately quit out of it. Because you've already finished it in trial mode, you get the cutscene that progresses the game, you jump off the side of the mountain, respawn back inside the cave area, saving you about 15 seconds of travel time because you don't have to travel there anymore. And it's just done completely out of order. It's wacky and it's amazing. No, that's great. Honestly, I I love that kind of stuff too, especially uh, the thing that I think you described that wasn't maybe apparent to me from watching the run 
was the way that uh, you as the runner are taking advantage of the game's different modes and the way that you know things play into each other, uh, which I feel like in in like more modern times where you might have an open world game or sort of everything there's only one mode right it's just the game mode as opposed to say trial modes or other things uh and to see that bleed over i feel like it's such a such a sixth gen thing uh, and to hear the way that's used particularly in gamma story is very very neat uh do you have any future goals for this one any sort of uh focus that you're i mean it, not even this category you know for for sonic adventure dx generally I just get my times lower. Um, it's a game that I have a lot of fun coming back to and playing. Um, a lot of people ask me, it's like, oh, dude, what's your favorite Sonic game? And I just, I have to tell them, it's like, well, I need to split it into 2D and 3D. I don't have a singular favorite Sonic game. It's just not possible. 2D, I love Sonic 3 and Knuckles. It's the game I grew up with as a kid. It's like 99 out of 100. My favorite 2D game is Sonic Mania because it's basically Sonic 3 and Knuckles 2 because it's a 99.1. Like they they are that close together. If you I can't pick between them if you made me. Um and then three D games, it's Sonic Adventure DX. Like that's just the game I will go back to constantly. I have no problem going back to playing it. And just in terms of speedrunning, it's a good show and if I can improve my times for all the characters, never mind just all stories, but all the individual character stories, then I'd love to be able to do that too. See, you've given me an interesting segue here because as we start to wind down the interview, one of the things I like to do is to have some connective tissue uh, between the interviews. Uh, now, my my previous uh, guest was Matt Matt, and I'm going to call Matt Matt out here a little bit because when I asked him for a question to give my next guest, the question being sort of a general gaming speedrunning question, he I think he panicked a little bit. And so he gave me he gave me what I thought would be a softball question, but maybe based on what you've just told me isn't because he said he said, you know what, PMC, I don't know what question to give. Can I just ask your next guest what their overall favorite game is? <laughs> hmm. See, that's a hard one. Because if you include Sonic, then I honestly couldn't pick one. I don't know if it would be three and Knuckles, Mania, or SEDX. I'm probably thinking it would end up being Mania just and no more because Mania is all that nostalgia mixed with new things and it's amazing both as a casual experience and as a speedrun. If you take Sonic out of there and I'm not allowed to say any Sonic games, I would probably say the original Nier. Oh. Um, the original Nier is one of the first games um, like I missed it uh, to me this was a hidden gem so hidden I missed it it wasn't until um, I worked in a game store at the time and the assistant manager my boss came up to me one day and went have you ever played this and it's like no what is it it's like it's right up your alleyway take it and go play it literally handed me the game and I played through it and its music was phenomenal. The story was something I'd never seen before and then ending B happened where it went, see everything you've just done here? You're the bad guy. And I'm just like, no! What? There's no way I'm the... And I had to play through it to make sure I wasn't. And it was just... It was so amazing. I loved it. 
And then the final ending happened that the goddamn guy erased my save file because of it. Damn it! Yoko Taro, you're an evil genius. And I hate <laughs> you, but I love you. But yeah, that that for me, just because it has that memory of of um, my like my assistant manager, he was a good friend, unfortunately no longer with us, uh, taken from us too soon, but great guy. And just he knew I would love this game that I'd never seen before. And yeah, I fell in love with it. And I love the... Uh, the Draken Nier series. I love Drakengard. I love Nier. So I would say the original Nier would be one of my favorite of all time games. Cool. No, that's a really that's a really fun story. Especially, I, I feel like it's you know one of those games where people talk about you know they didn't necessarily get to it when it came out. Uh, now I do have to get from you a question. Uh, I like to do this sort of have a question from one guest to the next, and the question could be sort of anything speedrunning gaming related. Uh, past examples have been if you could mix two consoles to make a new console, uh, if you could go back in time and you know speed run a game at a particular point in time, what time on game, things like that. That's sort of you know a question that you would put to a future speedrunner. You don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I do, but do you have an idea of what kind of question you'd want to ask? I would like to ask what is their opinion on the next generation of hardware that's been released. It's a current hot point in the world, both consoles and PC related. We've got the PS5, we've got the new Xbox, and we've just had the big announcement of the NVIDIA graphics cards. And we know AMD has something in the works. What do they feel? How, how do they feel about the next generation that's coming? And what do they think it's going to bring to speedrunning and gaming in general? Are SSDs going to help speedrunning? Are you still going to be better being a PC player? Or are the consoles going to start to see more, more activity? That's really interesting. I, I, I'm actually really curious. One of the things I love about this is that when I get the question, I can already think about what the next guest is going to say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know, just as a spoiler, who's going to get that question. Uh, so that should be Ooh, interesting. To all see. right, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that'll be good. Yeah. So that'll, that'll be a few weeks down the road. But I'm excited to ask that one of that guest uh, on that subject. And this actually might be related to your, your answer for, uh, for favorite game. Uh, any future games that you're really excited that are coming out and you know and that you were like I want to play this and stream it oh yeah no definitely I'm a massive indie nut uh, I want freedom planet too so badly like Fre- freedom planet was a game that originally started as a sonic fan game and then became its own thing and it's an absolutely phenomenal game and it's an absolutely phenomenal speedrun and I can't wait for the second iteration. Its second iteration has been in the works for a few years at this point. And when it drops, it's just it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. The the prevalence of indie games is just so neat and I can't I can't encourage people enough to go out, you know, know what you like about video games and look for that in indie games and chances are you're gonna find some wonderful stuff. Oh yeah, no, definitely. The in- indie games are they're getting more appreciation now, and I love it, and I hope it continues, uh, because honestly, some of the best experiences that you'll ever get, you will find in indie games. Now, 
we're finally reaching the end here. Uh, if people want to find you, where should they be looking? You can find me over on my Twitch channel mainly, twitch.tv forward slash Argic, A-R-G-I-C-K. I primarily stream Sonic games, in case that wasn't obvious in this interview. Um, I'm currently doing the Sonic Super Play, which is a month-long challenge of completing 52 to 58 Sonic games, depending on incentives, um, throughout the entire month of September. And we'll see how that goes. I have a lot of fun speedrunning. I have a lot of fun working on commentary. I like to showcase the journeys of learning a new game for the first time to showcasing them at marathons. You may or may not have seen a lot of marathon runs of mine on the ESA channel or on uh, just a lot of online marathons out there. I have a lot of fun with my commentary. Just enjoying myself. And I hope you all enjoy that as well. You can also find me on my YouTube. That is uh, over at youtube.com forward slash. I believe that is Argic as well. Uh, And that's where I upload PBs. And I've recently started uploading um, some, basically some highlights, some derpy moments where, well, we all know what speedrunning is like. Speedrunning doesn't always go right, but you don't normally get to see those parts. So this is what happens when speedrunning goes wrong. And I've always been told I have the best reactions when things go horribly wrong. So I've upload, I'm starting to upload a lot of them. And of course, if you want to keep up to date, my Twitter is available at JKArgic as well. I tweet about all sorts of things on there, just gaming, when I'm going live, anything in the world that's happening that's fun. And yeah, pretty much. Awesome. And of course, all those will be linked in the description below, wherever anybody is listening, whether you're on you know, iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube, whatever, you'll be able to find those links uh, in the description below. Uh, Argic, thank you so much for, for giving me so much of your time and all this wonderful insight. No, thank you for having me. It's been amazing. I've been looking forward to it ever since you uh, you asked me. But you might know, if you listen to previous episodes, that I need one more thing from you before we end. We do indeed. We do need a rocket booster engine noise after I say the 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 catchphrase, the cheesy catchphrase. Are you ready? Oh, yes. I love a bit of cheese. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Let's boost on out of here. 